Brian, dot, 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 Manix, that is, episode 432,324. You may have missed a couple, Brian, but you're here for this one, which is good. I've only done 18, Kev, uh, <laughs> so you must have been doing a few others with uh, some other Brian Mannix. Well, but, um, Well, it's great to be here. It's great to be alive, and um, I'm excited about today's episode, Kev. We have two, uh, three fabulous guests. Uh, and three? Got, yeah, three. Well, you know. We, we, got, we only had two. No, we, well, we've got two segments but three guests. There's oh. two in one. Oh, okay. I see yeah. what you're, you're saying. You with me? Yes. Okay. Yes, we've got a little bit of a musical interlude there by our third guest. We most certainly will. Now, tell me what you've been up to in this last, you know, little time since the last podcast appeared in the ethos. Well, it's um, I was going to do a television ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, film that, and mm-hmm. of course that that didn't happen. I was going to do a gig, and of course that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I was going to catch up with some of my mates at the pub, but of course that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? You can, um, well, no, you can't. Can't do anything at the moment. But no. um, so I've been watching a lot of the Olympics and um, TV, and uh, you know, I I love uh, masturbation, strangling animals, and <laughs> golf. <laughs> And I it's, look. I know it. that you don't like your golf, but <laughs> no, um, I, gave, I gave golf up years ago. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you were offended by the whole sport. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, um, well, that's sort of like that's like your new norm, isn't it? Well, look, I don't like the new norm, uh, Kev. Oh. I like the old norm. The old norm was life be in it. Get out of the house. Oh. Fly a kite. You know, jog. Ride a bike. Do yeah. anything. Play darts. But the new norm is, no, stay on the couch and get fat like old norm. <laughs> it's um, it's a real mixed message they've been sending us over the years. Yeah, I think you're right. I think uh. you're absolutely right. Now, I want to talk to everyone about, before I uh, unveil our guests, I want to mention uh, Murcott's Driving Excellence. Because they're a fabulous I can see podcast partners. one three hundred five 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 seven six. I got a bit of Gary Newman. Oh, mate, Gary. Gary Newman. We spoke to him on the yeah, show, I think it was last week, and we, we you edited out the bit where he raved about how much he'd learnt from Murcotts. Yeah, well, you know. And Gary Newman, uh, who is Mr Cars, mm. he reckons that Murcotts, you know, because when they did the video clip, Kev, Mm. He was just like in sitting in a car in a studio with lights moving. He wasn't actually driving. Right. But then he went to Murcott's. He wants now he to can do drive. a new clip where he's actually driving the car he because drive. he knows he can do it safely. And if you want to find out more about it, murcotts.edu.au. That is uh, that 576 Who needs jingles when you've got a singer on the program? In cars. Dum, boom. Boom, boom, Two boom. of the members of Dragon will be joining us a little later on. Uh, Todd Hunter, one of the founding members of the band, and Mark Williams, who of course has been around for a long time and is a great singer. Uh, and it's uh, and it's one of those interviews. It's it's short and succinct. It doesn't drag on. 
drag. Oh, 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 see what <laughs> He's I did on then. fire today, isn't he? Uh, oh. <laughs> or he, if not, he will be shortly. Um, <laughs> we're going to dis, uh, dispel this myth. Now, you've got an obsession with one of Dragon's songs and in particular the lyrics of one of Dragon's songs. Well, I, it's not a myth. The lyric is there. Yeah, but it's an obsession with you. Well, Isn't it's it? just if you released it today, you'd have the police knocking on your door going, hang on, what's going on here? Especially in light of their other song, Are You Old Enough? Well, yeah, so, okay, so all that will, will will be dispelled. There's a very, as I've been trying to tell you for years, a very mm. simple explanation for it and uh, Todd Hunter and Mark Williams will explain it to us a little later on. But our first guest, Brian, is a man you have had dealings with over the years. I have, and um, he's not a magistrate, a, incidentally. In case you're wondering, no, 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 and um, he's he's a great man who's um, been the backbone of the Australian music industry, um, probably as much as Michael Godinsky. He's yep. done a lot of great things, but best of all is that he's really funny and he's really down to earth. He's not like. Well, yes, I first imported, you know, cheap trick to Australia or something like that. Oh, shit, no. He sounds like like the bloke you'd meet at the footy or at the pub. Yep. But he's just, he's got so many stories and we could probably do, you know, with, um, you know, Mark Opitz we had... Um, 85 episodes. Yeah, yeah, well, you could probably do about 85 episodes of uh, Chuggy because he's a a superstar. He is a superstar. Michael Chugg's his name. Uh, There is a a bit of a language warning here. There are words that uh, uh, might offend some people. Money, COVID. Um, (laughs) And uh, the one that really bothers people is the... Yeah, yeah, and and they, little and they, little river band, which I know upsets some oh, people. Yeah, well, there's a story about how <laughs> yeah, little river is. band upsets that's, some people. That's in there. There's a Frank Sinatra story coming up, a Sammy Davis Jr. story coming up, and a whole lot more. And we'll take you back to his early beginnings in uh, in Tassie in the uh, in the early part of the '60s. So there's a lot to get through. Uh, and I particularly like why he didn't become a race caller. Yes, but, um. <laughs> yes there's, there's, there's that story too. Hey, uh, it's in its beautiful and colourful entirety. That's coming. Up, uh, so uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy Michael Chug. Well, this is going to be very interesting to see whether I can fucking remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be good. Well, what are yeah. what are your memories of uh, being involved with uh, Mr. Mannix and his uh, his uncanny X Men, Chuggy? Well, we had an incredible tour way back, and it's all a bit hazy, but I. Remember, I remember a couple of big days in Rally Glen going to the wineries and there was a lot of partying went on on that tour. Well, yes, there was. We might as well enjoy it. It won't last forever. Yeah, that's right. It was a pretty incredible tour, really. I mean, the crowds were amazing. Yeah, it was good. It was probably one of the highlights for me. Touring in a bus without beds was just pretty interesting. Well, yes, I think Ronnie just got engaged and um, we had a bit of a bucks turn in his, uh, in the bus on the way back from wherever we were coming back from. That's so, right. Yeah, good days, good days. So how's COVID been treating you? Well, you know, it's okay. I mean, you know, it's like you, get into the, you get into the process of, you know, you announce shows with local acts, which we've got a lot of these days, and... Uh, with our truck music label and management. So you announce acts and then you've got to postpone the shows. I mean, uh, we've just postponed a long Cordial New Zealand tour for the fourth time. Wow. 
Yeah. It's just it's very frustrating for everybody. Is the yeah. is the what industry going to will the industry bounce back from this, Chuggy, or is this a, such a, a, a like a kick in the guts for everybody in the industry that it'll be very hard to come back from this? Oh no, it'll bounce back. Yeah. It'll bounce back. It won't bounce back till they get the fucking virus, the, the vaccine running properly. I mean, I because I'm an old bastard, I've had my shots, and uh, I didn't have any side effects from it. But until they get everybody vaccinated, or at least 60% of the population, you know, it's going to be tough. I mean, uh, I'm lucky that we have uh, our labour and management company with a good roster of acts at work. And as far as international goes, God knows. Mm. You know, we've got to get people vaccinated. I think the government has done a terrible job. Yep. Yeah. It really comes down to the vaccine, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think it'll bounce back. You know, I think, but I think it'll come back in in a big way in early twenty three. And I think uh, the biggest problem we're going to have is it's going to get oversaturated within national acts. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about that because there's been a lot of international tours that have been postponed. So. There's a bit of a queue waiting to come in. Yeah, well, there's imagine. a lot of there's a lot of fucking idiots in our industry <laughs> who've uh, been announcing fucking tours, and uh, you know, knowing that there's no fucking way any tours were going to happen this year. And if they didn't realise that, they're stupid. Why are they doing and, that, Chuggy? Oh, there's a lot of reasons. Like in America, they're blame, they're accusing Live Nation of uh, putting. Um, Shows on sale, knowing they're not going to be able to do them, but just to get the money in the bank to help with their fucking cash flow and interest rates and yeah. all that crap. Yep. You just don't know what's going to happen. Um, no, you don't. It must be making it hard for you to do anything. Well, you know, we're the we're the first to get laid off, and we're the last to come back on. It's hey, just hey, been going on and on forever. Hey, so Chucky, can we can we talk about you? Let's leave COVID for a minute and, uh, and that. Let, let's talk about you. Uh, when when all this started back in 1964, you did uh, you, was your first gig really at the Trades Hall in Launceston? You did a, a gig with a band and you you made eighty pound out of it. Uh, for the cycling club, I didn't make any. The cycling club got the money, but it uh, it motivated me to think. Well, you know, I should keep doing this. And that's basically what I was doing. I was uh, also broadcasting at the local cycling and horse racing and all that on the tracks. I used to, when I started running dances properly, I used to have my old man and his fireman mates running the gig, doing all the security and taking the money, and I'd be down at the cycling broadcasting, and I'd rush back to settle up at the end of the night and pay him a quid each and keep the rest. All right. <laughs> so you're, you're paying your old man a quid to be your, your kind of your doorman and stuff. I I joke, you know. <laughs> wouldn't have been, you know, maybe two or three quid, five quid. It wouldn't have been that much. <laughs> what What about your race calling? Wasn't there one where you accidentally swore in the middle of a race call? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's become a legend story <laughs> that I was in Melbourne Cup and it was a dog race and it was all sorts of things. But, yeah, I did swear on air one night. Did you back something that came third? Is that right? Or? Oh, I did. Yeah, the, the, you know, the story is that I was calling a greyhound race and this old trainer guy told me his dog was going to win and I thought, I said, there's no fucking way you're going to win. 
you haven't won a race in 10 years. Anyway, going around the turn, the dog was in front. I had 10 quid on the back those days for a fucking 16-year-old. That was a lot of money. <laughs> and um, it put its foot in the hole, and I went, I'll be fucked, it's fallen over. <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't have to make a decision about whether I was going to be a, a sporting commentator or a, or a music man. It was made for me very quickly. I saw a quote where you said if if you'd been able to sing, you would have been Elvis Presley, such was your your stage presence. Oh, yes. My stage presence has always been pretty good and I think if I could have sung, I would have been Elvis, yeah, definitely. You did did sing in a few bands, didn't you, in Tassie? No, I used to play a clarinet with a gazoo in it. Oh, (laughs) 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 <laughs> Did anybody work out that it was a kazoo or just people silly enough to believe it was a clarinet? Oh, yeah, who knows? I mean, back in those days, not many. But the drummer used to hit me on the ass with his drumstick when my uh, solo and when the Saints come marching in went crazy. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about uh, the the big the, the future of, of uh, big festivals. I mean, I know you've been involved in a lot of those over the years and, and, and run many, many of those. Is that is that going to stand the test of time, the, the really big festivals, the Byron Bay ones and yeah, all those ones? Look, yes, I think so. I mean, there's a lot of festivals in this country now, from little ones that get three to 5,000 to the bigger ones like we do a country one in Queensland called CMC Rock. Yep. three-day camping festival that we get, you know, 20,000, 25,000 people on the weekend. Uh, we obviously haven't run it since 2019, and we probably won't run it again till September 22, but, I mean, the amount of festivals that Lime Cordial, who are one of the hottest local bands right now, the amount of festivals we have either booked or in a postponed mode, there's about 30 of them. Wow. So, yes, I think festivals will continue. And it's hard. Like, the people I really worry about and we all worry about are the crews, the roadies, production companies who some of them have earned nothing since March, February, March 2019. Yeah. And the pubs are doing it pretty hard too. A lot of them have been shut. They're paying 10 grand a week in rent and, you know, after, you know, six months of that, you suddenly find themselves with a $250,000 rent bill. Yeah, you've only got to wander around Surrey Hills and Paddington and those places up here and the amount of places that are not open and have got piles of mail inside their doorways and it's just horrible. Yeah. Uh, hey, you mentioned Lime Cordial, you mentioned Lime Cordial a few times. The, the story behind you getting together with them is fairly interesting because it involves a, a mate of yours called Brian Brown. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was not interested in managing acts. This is back in, what, 2013. And Brian Brown had been hustling me about these two boys from the Northern Beaches. At the same time, a, a percussionist, keyboard player called Baruka Chow, who was with uh, Yothi Indy, was hassling me about these kids he taught in Papua New Guinea who were living in Britain called, uh, whose name was Shepherd, and uh, I, for six months, these guys were driving me crazy. So Shepard's old man flew them down. They did a, a very nervous acoustic showcase in the back room of our offices, and one of my girls said, oh, they've got great songs. Their harmonies are fantastic. 
And so we decided, yeah, okay, well, maybe we'll do that. And a week later, I went down to the metro in George Street here into the Bears' Den and walked in, and Lime Cordia were playing to about the best-looking 180 girls I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is there's something going on here. So <laughs> basically, we signed both bands in the same week, and Shepard, of course, had a monstrous hit with Geronimo worldwide. Lime Cordial have been building and learning how to write songs and learning their stagecraft. And then, of course, you know, Triple J wouldn't play them. And we released one song called Dirt Cheap, and it took off without any airplay. Uh, Triple J added it, and here we are two and a half years later. We've had, uh, I think it's nine or ten Songs in the Triple J Top 100 for the last two years, Ooh. and this year they were all in the top 40, five of them. Yeah. Wow. The band have had uh, 11 gold or platinum singles. How much records do you have to sell to get a gold or platinum well, single? You know, it's all streaming. A lot of it's streaming, and then there's downloads. Yeah. So what they do is they adjust the streaming numbers uh, multiplied by a number to get a full single download. Right. So, you know, you've got to do a few million streams to get uh, the numbers to the 35,000 or the 70,000 platinum. But, you know, it's like Shepard's new album, which came out in February. Worldwide, it's done uh, nearly 800, well, it's done 800 million streams. Jeez. Wow. Which, which equates to 60,000 albums. There's a lot of money in streaming when you're doing big numbers. I mean, last last year, Shepard had a 104 million streams on Spotify alone, and Lime Cordial had 97 million streams on Spotify alone. I heard that um, you get a million streams on Spotify, you make about a thousand bucks. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. Gee whiz, it's not as good as the days when we had vinyl and you make a lot Well, of yeah, if you, if, you, if you were releasing the vinyl on your own, if you were with a major label, you were probably getting 5%, yeah. which would fucking equate to a lot less than what you'd make out of streaming these days. A lot of people who don't understand still, you know, and the one thing when I got back into management and started making records is that I had to learn all, of, all the income streams. Yeah, yeah right. Who was the first international act you brought over? Uh, Gary Glitter. <laughs> oh, Gather. Was yeah. that about 1972, 73? Yeah, 72. Gary Glitter. And then I started working with Paul Davey. Right. And I was his tour director right through to, what, 79, 80? And, you know, I did all those Fleetwood Mac, Linda Ronstadt, uh, David Bowie, Rock Arena. I did all those tours, and then in 79, 80, Gadinsky and I started Frontier, and our first two tours were the Squeeze, UK Squeeze, and uh, the Police. Oh, yeah, I've never seen the Police at the showgrounds back in about 84, 85. 83. 83, and it was their very last show. Synchronicity. Yeah, it was the last show they ever did together, I think. No, no, not quite. Brian Adams was the supporter. That's right. Yeah, kids too. in the kitchen were on the bill too, I think. Who? Kids in the kitchen were on the bill. I think it was a yeah, I think band. so, and I think Australian Crawl might have been on. I think you're right. 
I think you're 100 percent right. Yeah, I think I'm right. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's who's um the the app that you got the biggest thrill out of signing? Great, I've got them and they're coming over. Is there anyone in particular that you thought? Oh, look, uh, I think uh, the Elton John tour that I did that ended just before a week before COVID hit. We did 45 shows all around Australia. I think that probably is one of the great achievements. I was going to say, what, did you bring Frank Sinatra out? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, front of you did uh, Sinatra, Manelli and Davis. That was an incredible uh, tour in 88, that was. Wow. Right. And, and Frank, Sammy Davis got all the really good reviews that Frank didn't like it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. One night I was, uh, we were in Sydney. We did the first show at the Entertainment Centre and, I got back because I'd been to dinner with Gadinsky and I went to dinner at a place in Paddock called uh, a great Italian called Darcy with the manager. And we got, I went back to the hotel to check in with the security and all that. And while I was there, the fucking newspapers arrived and on the big photo of Sammy on the front page saying, Sammy steals the show. Oh. So about 20 minutes later, there was all this banging and yelling and it was Frank at the door of his security guy's door, banging on the door saying, Julie, Julie, get up. We're fucking going home. I'm never going to sing with that little bit ever again. Oh. <laughs> and I had, I, well, I had to walk over and tapped him on the shoulder and said, look, Mr. Sinatra, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. You can't get on any planes right now, I would suggest. You go back to your room and we'll sort it out tomorrow. Well, and true story. And, and what happened? Did he? Well, we finished the tour. I think we had one more show to go at the Entertainment Center. Wow. So we finished that. But yeah, I mean, that was great. I mean, I flew my mum and dad over from Tasmania and I, they were sitting in the second section, about 10, 15 rows from the stage. It was in the round at the tennis center and, uh, Five, ten minutes before the show, uh, Frank's tour director came over to me and said, I need two really good, cool people to sit next to Frank's wife in the front row. So I grabbed mum and dad and stuck them next to Mrs. Sinatra in the front row. And, oh, Mrs. Sinatra held dad's hand and mum didn't speak to him for about two months. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> And you got enormous brownie points on one side of the family and not on the other. Oh, I was a hero. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. I uh, saw so Michael, my great and late friend Michael, said in in an article a couple of years ago that he was very sad that his father wasn't around when he was had already passed when Sinatra came out as it would have changed the whole attitude towards Michael and music. Yeah. And it certainly, you know, it certainly made my, you know, for years when I was starting in this business, it was like, when are you going to get a fucking haircut and a real job? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of um, that, we had uh, we had Steve Kilby on the podcast a couple of weeks back talking about some, some halcyon days with, with you as his manager. Oh, Kilby, fucking hell. Mate, they could have been one of the biggest bands in the fucking world. He was such a prick. <laughs> and he actually, he actually admitted today he should have fucking been a nicer person. 
I'll never forget, you know, unguarded moment was going through the roof and we flew into LA, went to Capitol Records to meet with all the publicists and marketing people. And, of course, these girls who just didn't know any better started raving about the Little River Band. Oh. And, of course, that was like waving a red flag in front of a bull with the church. And within 30 minutes... I knew that the relationship with Capitol Records wasn't going to go anywhere. Wow. Yeah, it was terrible. They stormed out of Capitol, and that was it, really. We, of course, you know, in the end, I just went, oh, I can't do this anymore, and I I gave up, and then three months later, they have a fucking worldwide hit with Under the Milky Way tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he speaks very highly of you, Chucky. Oh, no, no, look, the guy's a fucking genius. Yeah. And uh, it was just, you know, they, it was that's the way it was. I mean, I remember I conned uh, Northern Songs, ATV Northern Songs, to give us all this money to do a Duran Duran tour of England, which would have set the band up. Yeah. And we're in Glasgow or somewhere playing the first shows. The band turned around and we said, we don't want to do this tour anymore. Oh, Jesus. And it's like, what? So we ended up getting our agent and we booked some shows, headline shows of our own in Germany and Europe. I mean, ATV Northern Songs wanted to fucking draw and quarter me. Oh, boy. Yeah, I bet. And they tried for years to get the money back that they'd advanced the band. I mean, they just, they, you know, they were their own worst enemies in the end. Yeah. yeah. But they had the success and... I mean, Steve's still very prolific. Every time I go on the socials, there's a, he's got stuff going up here and there. And
That's Michael Chug. That's part one, and that's uh, Stephen Kilby that you just heard uh, performing there musically, who he spoke about so glowingly in, and and unglowingly <laughs> during the interview. But uh, well, it was a it was a light, a, a, a dull glow. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, it was, it was glowing, then it was not glowing, and so just overall, it was a so light glow. So Fleetwood Mac is one of the uh, the bands that uh, that he obviously, as he mentioned, had a bit to do with with the Rock Arena tour and the Fleetwood Mac tour. So uh, there's uh, the, some Fleetwood Mac and some other people who we'll talk about. Plus, in the mm. next part, he'll give his frank and uh, and Chug like assessment. Of Brian Mannix. Oh my God! I'm not mm. looking forward to that. Okay. So he's that going to say they exactly actually what know he, me quite well. <laughs> he's going to tell us exactly what he thinks of you, and uh, and everyone will get to hear that. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I thought you were going to edit that bit out, but anyway. Oh, no, well. no, 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 no. Uh, the truth can't be stopped. Just no, it ask can't. CNN. Neither can Murcott's driving excellence, except with the handbrake or the brake pedal itself. Uh, you can give them a call on one three hundred five 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 seven six. Yeah, I'm driving in my car. Murcotts.edu. It's a green cog. When I said to you that I wanted some musical musical accompaniment for when we do the the spiel about Murcots, I didn't sort of mean for you to be singing in the background all the way. What about I write a jingle for them? What about you'd be a jerk off not to go to Murcots because you were a shit driver. (laughs) Don't be a jerk off. Get down to Murcots. Let's let's one three hundred five five. No, what is the number? Yeah, five 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 seven six. 
What's the first bit? One three hundred five 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 seven six. Yeah, you got it. Set down a Mercots, don't be a jack-off now, or I, do a burnout. Can I draw your attention to our next guests? You may indeed. Todd um, Hunter from Dragon, one of the founding members of Dragon, and uh, Mark mm. Williams, uh, of course, is a singer these days. Now, um, have you did you tour with Dragon? you have anything to do with Dragon over well, the years? this is the regret that I have. I didn't think of it while we were doing the interview, but... Mm. Um, First up, the first one I didn't remember is that when we recorded Still Waiting, Alan Mansfield um, produced it yeah. and he wanted the Steinberger sound. So he got Todd to come down and he lent Kirky, our bass player, his his um, his bass. Oh, okay. To get that, the Steinberger sound, which is what he wanted, which was used on all the Dragon um, Rain and all those songs. Okay. But the other one, we were touring with uh, Dragon in 1986 and we were playing at Newcastle Workers Club. And now anybody that knows Newcastle Workers Club, I was going to say Newcastle Wankers Club, but, <laughs> but um, that's, that's, that's down the door. road. <laughs> that's down the road. <laughs> You'll never work in Newcastle again, Lennox. <laughs> I, think, um, I think Rod Kirkham and his band were playing yes. down there. No, yes. Rod Kirkham's a great guy. There's yep. not, um, so anyway... There's this um, horrible outdoor fire extinguisher with about four floors to get your equipment up into the band room. Yeah. And so Dragon, the good crew of Dragon uh, that were doing most of the thing, they hired a cherry picker to load the gear up to the third or fourth floor or whatever it was. Yeah. Anyway, our gear, the X-Men gear, was in the same truck and it must have been at the back of the truck. So the first load that went up was... My keyboard, which was a very expensive keyboard I'd just purchased and had a big road case and I, I think some other X-Men stuff. And when it got to the top of about 150 feet tall, for some reason the guy operating it pressed the wrong button and tilted it and it all just dropped. Uh-oh. And um, a pole went through the road case of my keyboard and through the keyboard and that was the end of that keyboard. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I could never understand it because, you know, if you're going to bother to smash instruments, you may as well do it on stage when the audience <laughs> is there, not when you're loading in. But um, that's what the road crew of Dragon did. They smashed up my keyboard. I think Ronnie's one of Ronnie's guitar cases was ruined, but the guitar was okay, but the keyboard was a write-off. 35 years ago and you're still on about it? I'm fuming, Kev. I'm absolutely <laughs> fuming. You know, that keyboard today would probably be worth about 20 grand. Statue of Limitations, I think they call it in America. I don't think you can uh, you can get them on it. I, I know the Statue right. of Limitations sitting there in New York Harbour <laughs> welcoming it. all of the tourists. <laughs> That's the one. That's right. the one. Let's get to the keyboard uh, killing uh, band that is the our uh, <laughs> guest today. It is uh, Todd Hunter and uh, Mark Williams. Well, I think it's them. Let's, let's just see who's, uh, who's turned oh, up today. Just bring anybody, Kev. Yeah, okay. See what happens. I'm, I'm checking the roll. Uh, Brian Mannix. Hello, yeah, present. Uh, Todd Hunter. Present. Uh, Mark Williams. Present. There you go. Right. Kevin Hillier, we're all here. Hey, thanks, thanks for here. doing this, boys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you're going back on the road. Are you doing some dates soon? Tell tell us a little about uh, what, what people will see when they come and see the 2021 version of Dragon. 
Well, we practically work all the time, most weekends of the year. What you can expect to become as a dragon is to sing a lot of, a lot of songs that you know. I don't think we've changed much ever since we sort of started up again. I think it's this, we've always used the same sort of thing. It's just everybody's involved. Um, the audience has got to work as just as hard as we do. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No slacking. No slacking. You must have a pretty hard time picking your set list because you've probably got more hit singles than you've got time to play, I would imagine. There's a lot of songs we request for songs. Why aren't you playing blind? So, well, there's no time. Yeah. No, that's right. Occasionally, one will sneak in. In fact, we're, we're actually trying to push, but it's that damn set list that won't let us in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can well imagine. Uh, can, can we go back to 2006 when you when you rang Mark and said, come over to my house, I've got a, a, something I want to chat to you about, Todd? Mark, you go. Oh. Yeah, um, well, well, it was a call out of the blue. I was having a nice cup of tea at 10 o'clock in the morning. I was pondering what I was going to do in my life. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was, it was kind of like that. It was actually felt like that because next minute, next minute, I get this call out of the blue. I didn't really know Todd. But it's sort of, we're like ships in the night. We've passed each other, you know, over the years. Yeah. Said hello and that's about it. But then I get this call from, from Todd asking if I was interested. Oh, this is Todd Hunter here and, and I said, quiet, everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, this is Todd Hunter here. Uh, yes, Todd. I was just wondering if you'd like to join a rock and roll band. <laughs> <laughs> and tour in a gentlemanly fashion, Bernice. And tour in a gentlemanly <laughs> fashion. <laughs> and that's how it actually happened. And was, um, was it a uh, hard up, decision, up to, Mark? It wasn't hard at all. Uh, I literally was wondering, what should I do? <laughs> well, you, take, you take a stock part of what's going on and where you're going and all that sort of stuff. It kind of was like, felt like it was in that situation. Anyway, I decided to try and get the band to play again. Yeah. And I asked my studio, I was doing music for Heartbreak High at the time, or out there or something, and I asked the studio assistant, did he know any guitar players? And he recommended Bruce Reed, who played with Wendy Matthews, who was oh, a yeah. fabulous Canadian guitar player. Yep. He hadn't really heard of Dragon much. Um, and he said, you know, you've got a drummer? I said, no. He said, well, I've got this great young drummer called Pete Drummond, and he'd be perfect. So I rang Pete up. He said, same thing, basically. And he said, well, the first song I ever played when I was, became a musician was Rain when I was about six. So, oh, yeah, I'm in. Wow. wow. So, so we just got together in a room and started playing and haven't stopped since. Uh, it's Mark, literally like that, yes. Is there any songs in particular you were looking forward to singing, Mark? Or was there any that intimidated you? Or that you thought, oh, gee, don't know about that one? Or No, I, I, there's a lot of songs I actually didn't know. But there were, a few, there were quite a few. There was quite a few albums that I did have. And I knew those songs, but there was others that I had no idea about. So it was a massive learning streak for the next couple of weeks, you know, when we were sort of getting it all together. The ones that I absolutely loved beyond belief was Speak No Evil, sort of yeah. songs like that. And then he and then he pulls out, you know, like we go to our first, you know, first or second rehearsal, and he pulls out um, Age of Reason. I, I forgot. I had no idea that he wrote that song. And I <laughs> yeah. went, oh, my God, we're going to do that. I don't care. Yeah, that would have been a, a good one for you, Todd. Um, have an age of reason. <laughs> Getting Farnham to record that would have made you a few uh, few dollars, I would imagine. It put the guys through school. <laughs> <laughs> put you through school. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you originally wrote it for Joe Dolce, but I don't know if that's right. Yeah, it's completely true, yeah. <laughs> 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 we were doing festivals in Europe. 
John Farnham was doing the same festivals and he was talking to Mark and Alan. I was standing behind him. He said, yeah. come on, guys, uh, you know, write a song for my new album. I was just yeah. in the background. I said, okay, John Farnham's asked us to write a song. Come on, let's go. We put it all together and sent it off and heard nothing about it for about a year. We wow. just completely forgot about it. Uh, Ross Fraser rang. He said, we love the song and it's on the album. So wow. Fantastic. It's actually a joy to sing, I, I tell you. It's a joy to sing. Oh, absolutely. Um, do you play any of the early Dragon stuff? I like get that jive and, uh, you know, still in love and those ones? Oh, most definitely. We couldn't do without those. Yeah, they're, that's like, right. they're like, um, it's like everybody's in there sitting down, like in their comfort zone, in the audience, you could see the, the, the vibe that happens when those songs come out. It's just like, uh, it's just like recognition, but it's like, you know, you're having a, a nice glass of wine in front of the fireplace, that kind of thing. It just brings on such a real happy, contented feeling. The thing about those songs, too, is we don't try and slavishly reproduce them. We just right. sort of dig no. around with them and do whatever we feel like, and they change quite a lot. You know, we can do make anything out of anything, and people will still come and sing the chorus. It's yeah, that's it. There's one line which I wonder, it was fine at the time, but I don't know how it translates in today's world, but... You say you'll call me up when you get out of school. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a pretty bizarre line. I think, he was, I think he was talking about a school teacher. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, Brian, I told you there was a perfectly good explanation for that line of the song. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I, I love that line. It's my favourite line. I just think because there was a lot of songs in the in the 70s where the girlfriend was only 16 and he's broken out of jail. And there's not, it seemed to be a lot of young girls and men breaking out of jail in the 70s. Phil <laughs> Wyman says his girlfriend was 14, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, it was right. too. Yeah. I wonder if she called him up when she got out of school. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Todd, when you play those songs like uh, Are You Old Enough and April Sun in Cuba, do you do – Think about the old days, or are you just in the moment of, of you know, 2021 or whatever? No, I never think about the old days. I, I completely love playing the actual mechanics of it. It's so great, and it's so, such a joyful thing to do. It's very therapeutic, yeah. too. You can feel like crap after travelling all day. Get on stage yeah. after an hour and a half, you just feel like a 20-year-old again. It's amazing. Yeah. I can suggest yeah. it to anyone. You said that you are you tour in a gentlemanly manner these, ways, these days, Todd. Yeah. Um, that wasn't always the case, though, with Early Dragon, was it? You could say we were less than gentlemen in those days, yes. <laughs> I heard a story that golf carts ended up in a swimming pool at some point. Is that true? Uh, I think there were a bunch of, yeah, golf buggies true, and over the cliff into the water at Magnetic <laughs> Island. <laughs> we had a break on a tour. We went to Magnetic Island for a bit of respite and escorted off the, the island by the police after the list, <laughs> <laughs> they read a list of stuff out. We were guilty of like looting a yacht with wine, <laughs> old wine, uh, stubbing out cigarettes on small dogs. Oh, driving. dear idea. None of it was too driving. Many went into the sea, discharging firearms, etc. Wow. <laughs> it, was all too, it, was all, it was all too real for me, I have to say. 
I didn't have a great time in the seventies so, at all. Todd, you were always the the, the quiet one of the uh, of the. Yeah, uh, the you want to talk about the halcyon uh, sort of dragon lineup of Robert Taylor and Paul Dewson and and Mark and Kerry and that. Are you you're always the quiet one, sort of the unassuming. Were you actually you know kind of much more dark and that and mysterious than any of us kind of thought at the time? Mark used to say I was the most private person he'd ever met. I just didn't go for that whole flamboyant lifestyle. It just seemed very, very goddamn dangerous to me. No, you were, you were the one. You were, you were always the one. Whenever I went to a, an awards night or something like that or went somewhere where it was a public sort of event and, and you know, there were people were backstage or side stage and that, and you were always the one that was sitting there chatting to other artists. You were the one sitting over there in the corner. I, I thought, or that's the one who I worked walk past. You weren't sort of out there. Oh, that's my that's my that's my public party technique. You just sit in yeah. the corner. Anyone that's worth talking to will come and talk. Yeah, and it, it always seemed to be Jenny Morris sitting next to you. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's what I noticed. Okay. <laughs> the plot thickens. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. I, I happened to be in Jenny Jenny's band at around at that time. Yep, yep. Did you did your paths not cross in New Zealand in the early days? Because I mean, what Dragon came over at the end of seventy five, I think it was Todd, and yeah, then May, May seventy five. Yeah, uh, Mark, you came over what in seventy seven? Seventy seven. Yeah. So yeah, did you um, missed each other. I was in a, a band that only worked around the southern suburbs of Auckland, like in the hood back in those days. But I'd scream into town after the gigs just so I could go and see bands like Dragon playing at the, at the cool clubs in town. So, yeah, I was part of the audience. I used to watch them before they actually left. But yeah, I think I saw the last gig before they actually left the next day in, on the plane, you know. That's I think I was there. After we left Park, became a humongous star in New Zealand. We never crossed paths. Yeah, yeah. Even to the point where we had a studio on Bondi Road. So Mark would come and sing vocals on demos and stuff. And we didn't even bump into each other then. Hey Todd, I want to ask you. I want to ask you about working with Todd Rundgren. How did that? Was he the was he the weirdest cat you ever worked with? He was a pretty wild guy. Uh, one would think he'd be like a sort of gentle hippie, but he was the most apart from myself, most cynical person I ever met. <laughs> wow! So, and that stage, he and I used to have this argument competition of who cared less about the album that we were making. Because <laughs> dreams of ordering me. <laughs> I care less than you, no, you don't. I care less than you. But he was very professional, and the, the let me see the studio we worked in was on his estate in in um, uh, Bearsville, Woodstock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, the, the studio was in the snow, and it was like down the hill from his huge sort of spaceship type mansion. And whenever we hit a place where. We'd argue with him about whether a song should go or whatever. He'd say, okay, I'm going up to the house now. Just give me a ring whenever you guys are going to do it my way. When you just oh. disappear, disappear into the snow. It was great. He, he wow. just managed to produce an unproducible band, basically. <laughs> it wasn't far from the Overlook Hotel. Bizarre. The Shining. Oh, yes. wow. Yes. <laughs> he was great. When we we do the backing harmonies, he'd come and join us. We'd all stand around a microphone and sing. His singing is unbelievable. So, are you are you on, are going on the road now, or has COVID sort of put stopped you, or what, what's happening wildlife yeah. at the moment? Well, we had a little break of a year or so, and then uh, we were, I think we practically booked every weekend until Christmas. Our aim was to be a working band, and it's just all we are. We get out there every weekend. Yeah. Morning, morning, morning. 
Had somewhere different to play. Todd, are you still yeah. writing? Are you still writing lots? Yeah, like that. No, he does. <laughs> he comes up with some gems. He still comes up with gems. Occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Writing is the young person's game. Oh, it is not. It is not. (laughs) Depends what you've got to say. (laughs) I simplify my life by just playing in the band. I love it. And occasionally I will write something, but I just look at myself as a player. So where Uh, where are those songs going these days? uh, Oh, no, we've we've recorded recorded quite a few. Actually, we we we, uh, we were listening in, a, in the van the other day. We were driving somewhere, oh, out to Woomba Way up Queensland, and and going through. And we've done, we've recorded a hell of a lot of songs in the time that we've been together. You're going to release them or what? Nah, nah, release them. There's some pretty good songs. You just got actually got to come to the gig to pick them up. Yeah, yeah. Is it on vinyl or CD or USB or no, just CD? Just yeah, CD. Good. Hey Mark, is is uh, are you still doing session stuff around the around the traps, or is, is Dragon kind of your full time thing now? Yeah, well, it's Dragon really. In in that generally fashion, we're actually quite busy in our minds. We've, yeah. got, we've got things to do. No, I'm, I haven't been involved in studio sessions and that for a long time. Um, and I was quite pleased to sort of move back into live, you know, live and recording with band with the, with the group. I was, the sessions, the sessions even exist anymore. I don't think so. They they, oh, wow. they do on such a but on such a you, you don't get paid for it nowadays because everybody every every Tom Dick and Harry who's got a a studio in their in their bedroom and so they just get somebody who's dying to be you know a vocalist you know will do it yeah. for nothing. So I mean it's it's, it's open for it's open slather there and yeah. good on them. But uh, it's a world that I, I wasn't really. It was a means to an end. It was something that tied me over while something else. Was 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 brewing and you know like say a band. There's nothing so magnificently stupid as being in a band. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so Mark, it must yeah, be yeah. nice. It must be nice to pop in and sort of appear on a, a Eurogliders album or a, a Church album or something like that. Yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely. It was um, fantastic being uh, being a part of that that whole Oz music sort of. The, 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 the beginning of it, you know, was just, or the, the when it was right in the thick of it, back in the 80s and the 90s, it was just magnificent, that, that period of time. Speaking of the Eurogliders, when we started doing those group shows, we turned up and everyone around this guy came running across the backstage area and he leapt up on top of me. And he was looking at my face and I said, do I know you? She said, yes, Bernie from the Eurogliders. <laughs> oh, We've never actually met, but this will do. He's <laughs> <laughs> a great guy. Well, more power uh, to you, boys, and more, more dragon uh, into the future. We'll just yeah. keep on keeping on. Absolutely. Well, well you, you, you once described uh, Dragon as incredible pop slags, um, Todd. <laughs> you, still, you still stick by that? No, it's a different, different animal now. A different animal now. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not staging the fall of Rome anymore. We're just uh, playing and getting <laughs> are, are, are you now? Are you now pop gentleman, are you? You, you could be right, you know. There you it's go. Something like that. <laughs> the gentleman of pop. The gentleman of pop. Here they are, the gentleman of pop that you've been waiting for. Here's <laughs> <laughs> the armchair that's sitting there smoking pipes. <laughs> yeah. That's it. 
Beautiful. Hey, thanks, thanks so much for spending some time with us on uh, on the show. We really appreciate it, uh, gentlemen. Uh, yeah. The gents of pop. It's been it's been lovely catching yeah. up. Lovely <laughs> too, Brian, too, yeah. and you, Kevin. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Todd. You're both with us. You gentlemen of pop. <laughs> Good on your voice. Yeah, thanks I don't for know that. How to take that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a compliment. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. okay. <laughs> thanks, Mark. Thanks, Please. Todd. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. See you, boys. Bye. Bye.
That's Dragon's Reign, and uh, that is uh, the end of uh, this uh, Life of Brian dot 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 Manix, that is, podcast for yet another episode. More of Michael Chug to come in the next one, incidentally. We, uh, we have plenty more. Uh, for Chuggy to talk about, and we'll unleash him again in the next episode, along with Mark Gable from the Choir Boys. Well, that's a really, really funny episode because oh, you've got Chuggy cool. and Mark Gable. He's, he's a very, very funny fella. Um, Entertaining fella. I don't know what he was like when he was on the drink because he's naughty as hell when he's off the drink, so he must have been a terror when he was on the drink. But um, great guy, and, um, it's yeah, it's a very good episode we've got coming up. Yes, it'll be a beauty, and it'll be proudly brought to you by Mercot's Driving Excellence, 1-300-555-576. Uh, Is that the Jew Guide song? Yeah, I was wondering if you if you the two guides car in the two in my guys. car. There in you my go. Car, car. Linda Nutter. Yes. No, I don't think that was her name, was it? No, no. I think it was <laughs> I think it was Linda Lady Pleasers. <laughs> oh no. We'd almost got through a whole episode without mentioning that. Murcott's oh, strike. Actually, we've got to be special on the Lady Pleasers next week. One three hundred five five five. I'm just remembering the interview. Oh. Hang on, one three hundred five 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 three seven five seven six. One three hundred five five five. Five seven six. You know, it says on this thing here above me: in case of emergency, break glass or turn Brian's microphone off. I think I'll do one of those. I'm not sure which one we'll do. Hang on. Uh, we'll see you next time, Brian. All right. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> We're Jack.